Hear God's word today from the third chapter of Matthew's gospel, the 13th to the 17th verses. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I really think we're having church this morning. That was Susan, Ruth Ann, the choir, wonderful music. We had a sermon from Diana, really, uh, praying by Donna and Matt. Uh, the key for me is not to mess that up. Uh, I, I can't tell you what a joy it is to be here with you. It's a privilege to be in this church. I love Alamo Heights. I I uh, have special connections here that are really deep. I, I tell people I come to Alamo Heights to get a Jesus fix. Uh, this is a great place. You have an amazing staff here. I have great friends here. The TMF, your beloved pastor from years ago, Jack Cooper, was on the TMF board with me. Bob Scott and Nora. All the Scots are great friends. Uh, Bob and Linda Rourke. And, uh, I've had the privilege to work with this staff. You know, David has this amazing staff you have here. It's the remarkable people. And the kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven through the work of this church. And so uh, I hope you understand what a blessing uh, you are. You're blessed to be a blessing here. So uh, thank you for allowing me to be a part of that this morning. Will you pray with me? Life-giving God, I pray now that uh, you might speak through me, maybe despite me, so your people would hear today that they are beloved sons and daughters beloved of you, so they might live out of their belovedness. And I pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've had a tendency in my old age to uh, sort of read the paper too much. We have too much information today. And, you know, if you read the news, if you soak up everything around you, it, it can cause you to fall into what I call the chicken little syndrome when the sky is falling uh, this world is really messy. I've, I've never uh, in my life, maybe it's been worse, I just don't remember that. We're conflicted and polarized, we're angry. Uh, just so much unrest. We're fighting in one of our wars. There's unspeakable tragedies. Uh, the stock market's tanking. Um, it's a messy world. Uh, it's really frightening. And, and they're, for me, the, the, the reality of I'm living into my mortality, now you get to an age where you read the obituaries every day to see if anybody died who's younger than you are. <laughs> um, and as Frank Schlotter said, uh, Frank, you know, old age ate for sissies. But the, the problem is every person in this room, every one of us, in, in all sorts of ways, are struggling with stuff. There's stuff in our life. There's financial crisis, health crisis, family crisis. Uh, it's just a messy place. And, you know, there have always been snakes in the garden. But the world looks messier today. And sometimes it can cause us at least... Uh, I fall into my loyalty cynicism and sarcasm. I sort of get 
critical and frustrated. So that the question that I want to put on the table this morning is how do you live into that? If, if you claim to follow Jesus, how do you live in this world that's messy, broken, and frustrating? Uh, for some of us like me, uh, where it looks like the assumptions you've made about life are no longer true, where the institutions you've trusted are certainly coming unraveled, how do you do that? Now, there's lots of answers for you out there, and, but the answer I want to push before you today is one I hope you've heard in all sorts of ways here, is to live out of your belovedness. To live out of your belovedness. Uh, in other words, I, I believe uh, every person in this room should hear this morning the words that Jesus heard at his baptism. Jesus is 30 years old. He comes from nowhere from Galilee to begin this ministry. He hadn't done anything yet. He's baptized and a spirit of God descends on him. And words from heaven come to Jesus. This is my son, the beloved. The beloved. I am well pleased with him. Not because of anything he'd done. And do you, do you understand that's true for you? And me. It's true for all of us. I remember the first time I heard that, uh, almost 20 years ago, I was, had come out of seminary <clears throat> back to our home church in Houston. I was on the staff and went to an administrative council meeting where all the leaders of the church were gathered. And a, a young pastor who just joined the staff did a devotional that night. And he read the scripture and he said to this group of people, high-achieving leaders of the church, you are beloved sons and daughters of God. God is pleased with you. You can't do anything about that. Receive it. And, you know, I remember thinking, uh, well, that's, that's a really a nice thought. And, you know, grace is sort of a great thing to talk about. But for me, you see, I'll confess to you, uh, I grew up in a world that's told me that you have to earn it. If you want to be successful, you've got to work hard. You eat what you kill. You, you've got to really push into it. Uh, and that's what I did. I, uh, I grew up going to church, but I didn't pay much attention to it. I went to college, and when I was a sophomore in college, I remember deciding to become a lawyer, not because lawyers were noble people who pursued grace and truth, but because I thought lawyers made a lot of money, had a lot of power. And that's a model for me. You know, you, it's success and standing and status and power and possession and possessions. That's life. And so I went to law school, had the good judgment to marry my high school sweetheart, uh, which proved out to be a lifesaver. But I then uh, went to Houston in the early 60s, late 60s, to begin success, status, standing, power, position, possession, pursuit. And, uh, you know, you work really hard, you're smart, and you work up one day and, you, and you've achieved all that. You ever achieved all that and you've done what the world said you need to do? You're a partner in a big law firm. You make a lot of money. You live in a big house. You have lots of cars. You take great vacations. Your kids are going to go to the right schools. Everything's perfect. <laughs> Except inside of you is a hole. Because the world lies to us, you see. The world lies. <laughs> it's a lie. Um, and you wake up one day, and I'd work up in the late 70s, and I'm, there's this hole in me, and I'm working all the time, and I'm boozing the rest of the time, and I'm killing my family. And my amazing wife convinces me to go to church, go back to church. And we went back to church, joined Chapelwood Baptist Church in the fall of 1979. And I began a journey to try 
to understand success. And the pivotal piece was in the summer of 1985. I've been to a Bible study. First time I'd read the Bible. Read every C.S. Lewis book that had ever been written. C.S. Lewis wrote books in the 50s and 60s for people who were too smart for their own God. <laughs> and I got it in my head that the real day in my life is Jesus. Uh, I process things through my head. That's the way I work. So I got the Jesus stuff in my head. And then you begin to be transformed by that. And I, I sensed a call into ministry in the early 90s. I decided to leave my law practice and go to seminary and go into Methodist ministry. And so I just moved the ladder from the ladder leaning up against the lawyer wall to the ladder leaning up against the preacher wall. So you climb a ladder for God and it's more noble. <laughs> but you're still trying to do the same thing. Except now, if you really do ministry well, God will love you more. If you're a preacher, God will love you more. <laughs> so if you work hard, God will love you more. And I came back to church and, and discovered at Chapelwood, discovered this is really hard stuff. Being a pastor was the hardest thing I ever did. I thought being a lawyer was hard. It's really hard to do this. I hope you understand how hard it is. What David and Dinah and Donna and Matt, what your staff do, what Scott does at Riverside, that's really hard. It's gotten harder. And, and pastors keep working harder. In a world that's sort of crumbling around us. And so I, I began to hear this word. I began to hear these sermons by a man named Jim Jackson, who was a chaplain. I played his tapes, and he kept talking about this children God stuff, <laughs> this grace stuff. It's Wesleyan stuff. And, you know, you, you have that in your head, but you can't get it in your heart. And when I began to come to this church a few years ago, I began to hear this amazing theology by David, sort of novel stuff. He said, you know, you're all beloved sons and daughters of God. He wrote this book, read his book, Accidental Hero. You ought to read that book. We're living as orphans. I've been living as an orphan, <laughs> trying to find uh, happiness and fulfillment by filling my life up with stuff. You know, everybody, somebody always has more stuff than you do. You can't get enough. I started going to church, first got this church in Georgetown. We have this wonderful pastor named Steve Langford. Every Sunday morning, a pastor walks out at the beginning of the service and says, you are claimed by the grace of God, by the waters of your baptism, your beloved sons and daughters of God. And, you know, I, I begin to believe that's true. And I believe then, though, you have to get it into your life. And see, the way I've discovered that, that I would share with you this morning, there's a way I am able to fill myself up with the belovedness of God and to push it out of me, is by understanding that the Christian is called to a life of prayer. The nature of the Christian life is praying. Everything in your life, I believe, flows from your prayer life. Uh, that's a lid on things. And that's what Jesus shows us, and, and Paul talks about that. The New Testament gives us a sort of, it's a, it's a tough picture of prayer in a sense. It's prayer, not just the stuff we do early in the morning, not just the stuff we do at church, not in the service. It's understanding that our whole life is we're called to be open to the power and presence of God, to the Spirit of God flowing into us, filling us up, connecting us with God. And Paul says these really interesting things. In the New Testament, he said, you have to pray in the Spirit. It's in Ephesians 4. Uh, in other words, the Christian life is a supernatural experience. You're in the zone where heaven and earth meet. That's what Jesus brought us <laughs> So prayer, you say, is a supernatural experience of living in that wonderful place where heaven and earth are coming together. It's an amazing place.
So you have to sort of get out of your head to do that. And then he says something really harsh. He says, that means you pray about everything and everyone all the time. That's what he says in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, you pray without ceasing, pray constantly. It means you're constantly open to the power and presence of God all the time. And you pray for everybody because they're all beloved sons and daughters of God. And the second chapter of 1 Timothy says, pray for everybody. God desires everyone to be saved. God desires every person on the planet to embrace their belovedness. So you pray for them. And then he really gets harsh in the fourth chapter of Philippians. He does what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Avoid the chicken little syndrome. And how you do that? Paul says you pray about everything. With your prayers and requests, let everything be known to God. And what do you get from that? The New Testament says you get God's peace. I don't get my way with God when I pray. God gets God's way with me when I pray and changes me. And I get the peace that passes all understanding, a sense of my belovedness. That's what Jesus came to give us. He didn't come to make it okay. (laughs) He didn't come to say, uh, I'm going to take away all the stuff. I'm going to take away all the trouble. He came to say, it's hard down here. It's hard. But you're wired to live in an intimate relationship with me as a beloved son and daughter of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've become who God called you to be so the world can become the, the world God intended it for it to be. But you've got to pray. You've got to be open. You know, Woody Allen says uh, 90% of life is showing up. In the Christian life, it's 100% of life. It's showing up. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Show up. Show up. And live out of your belovedness. Let me close uh, quickly with a story. Uh, the best advice I ever got about the Christian life, I got in the summer of 1991. Uh, I had told my law partners I was leaving the law practice and would spend a year winding down my practice. And our youngest daughter was going to graduate from high school. But I'm a head fanatic. I wanted to start studying theology. So I called the people in Dallas at Perkins. And I said, is there a seminary in Houston where I can start studying theology and transfer those stuff to Dallas, and they told me about a wonderful little Quaker seminary in Houston called the Houston Graduate School of Theology. And so in the summer of 1991, I took my first seminary class on the John books in the New Testament, the gospel, the letters, revelation. The class was taught by a man who was then the president of the seminary. His name is Delbert Vaughn. He was not a really inspiring teacher, but he was a deeply spiritual man who just oozed Jesus. (laughs) And there were 12 of us in this class, so at the beginning of the class, he spent time every day with each one of us asking us to tell him our story. And I remember that afternoon, I sat down with Dr. Vaughn to tell him my story, which was this. It's very simple. I was a big-time lawyer, and I'm about to become a big-time preacher. <laughs> I'm going to save the Methodist Church single-handedly because I'm really smart. Dr. Vaughn sort of smiled graciously and overlooked my lack of humility and Then he said something that really resonated with me. He said, Jim, would you like to understand how to be successful in ministry? What if you're a compulsive, overachieving type A personality? You pull out your leg pad and you're prepared to take copious notes on success. But here's what he said to me. He said, Jim, if you want to be successful in ministry every morning when you wake up and draw your first breath and become aware of the world around you, you need to abide in Jesus. 
said you need to be connected to Jesus. He's talking about the 15th chapter of John's Gospel where Jesus explains to his disciples how they live life without his physical presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He says it's like a vine and a branch. You need to be, as Eugene Peterson says, intimately, organically connected to God through me. And you'll bear a lot of fruit. But if you're not connected, nothing happens. I remember uh, listening to him. That's really simple. And then he said, but Jim, he said, if, if you live your life and your ministry, if you're centered and focused on Jesus, then you may be serving some little church and 20 people hear your sermons and they all fuss about them. But your ministry will be successful. But, Jim, he said, if your ministry and your life isn't centered and focused on Jesus, if you're not connected to God, then you may be the pastor of some big church. <laughs> and you preach to hundreds of people who rave about your sermons, but your ministry will not be successful. Dr. Vaughn said, Jim, you can't do anything in ministry and in a Christian life that really matters without Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, what a simple-minded little guy. <laughs> I'm a really smart lawyer. I'm about to go study systematic theology, and this guy says, it's just Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Life is much more complex than that. And it is. Life and ministry the world is really complicated. But the core of it is very simple. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about understanding that you and me are beloved sons and daughters of God. We're wired to live in an intimate, organic relationship with God. And so if we receive that belovedness, then that belovedness can flow out of us into everything around us. Because it's messy out there. It's messy out there. I'm not telling you how to do this. Please hear me. I'm not telling you you have to get up and pray three hours every morning. I have a friend in Houston who doesn't believe in God before 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you need not just to hear that you are beloved sons and daughters of God. You need to receive that and appropriate that. You need to pray into that and then leave this place and let it flood out of you. Into all the world around you. So the world will know it's belovedness. You are beloved sons and daughters of God. And God is really pleased with you. Not because of anything you've done but because of who God is and who you can be through Him. Live out of your belovedness. And the kingdom will come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.